Well, folks, um, again, welcome if you're visiting today or, or um, with us for the first time. Uh, I came across this during the week. Neil Martin was an MP of the British Parliament from 1959 to 1984. One day he was giving um, a group of constituents a guided tour of the Houses of Parliament. And during the tour, the group came upon the then Lord Chancellor, Lord Halsham. Oh, that's not what I wanted. Look at that. There he is. There's Lord Halsham. Who happened to be dressed that day in full regalia, you know, full ornamentation that went with the office. All the bells and whistles, so to speak. Now, as they walked toward each other, Lord Halsham recognised the MP Martin and cried out, Neil! Not wanting to disobey the command of one so important, the group of visitors immediately fell to their knees. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How do, you, how do you respond to authority? I wonder, we're Australians, aren't we? We tend to be a bit funny about authority. That's going to be one of the questions we look at today in Mark chapter 2. How do we respond to authority? Uh, and not any type of authority, though, but the authority of Jesus. Jesus' authority is, is not like any worldly authority, MPs and lords of the British Parliament. You see, Jesus has the authority to do what no one else can. We'll find out exactly what that is uh, as we work our way through Mark chapter 2. Now, I'd love you to have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you've got it on your phone. It'd be really helpful. I'm not going to put everything up on the screen. So if you've got it on your phone, you'll be using your phones later on too. I'll give you a warning about that as well. Um, if you've got a Bible, bring it to church. It'd be great to do. Follow along. You've got to make sure that I'm preaching what's in, what's in God's Word. That's your job as you listen along. So make sure you bring your Bible. And, um, and we're working our way through Mark. So the more you read from Mark in the next what is it, leading up to Easter, really, the better. There's also an outline in, um, in your bulletins. You might want to get that out if you want to scribble some, some things down. And we're going to have a Q&A time at the end. So if you've got a question, you might want to write it down and, or any other notes you want to write down there and uh, ask at the end. Don't forget, too, this afternoon at 3pm, we have our SRE commissioning service. So if you're free, come along um, and uh, we're going to have a great time praying for our, our scripture teachers, not only in the high schools, but also in our local primary schools around the area. So please come along then. How about I pray for us and we think about the authority of Jesus as we do that and uh, over the next little while. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your, um, your word to us today. Uh, we thank you that you're a good God who loves us. And we pray, Lord, that we'd respond to your word today in trust and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we find Jesus doing what he came to do. So I read it. A few days later, now, if you look back, this is following the healing of the man with leprosy at the end of chapter 1. If you can flick back in your Bibles, you'll see that. Uh, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, so he had been forced out of Capernaum into what our Bibles call the lonely places or basically the wilderness, really. He'd been forced out of there because his popularity had been, um, well, he'd, he'd become famous for reasons he didn't want to become famous for. The people heard that he had come home. So verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So Jesus is preaching in a house in Capernaum 
and it's packed, people everywhere, such as his popularity. The scene actually reminds me, I don't know how true this is, but it reminds me of, you know those trains in, um, in different parts of Asia, uh, Chinese, particularly the trains in, um, in China, and there's these massive people and they sort of move together and heave together. It's my worst nightmare on a train, by the way. Um, and they employ these security guards to push people into the carriages to maximise space. Isn't that just awful? Anyway, I don't know if this was the house, a picture of the house, but certainly uh, they, um, it, the, there was no room left. It was packed out. Not even outside the door. Hordes of people were crowding around Jesus. But despite the excited expectations of the crowd to see another miracle, because Jesus had become famous for, these, for this, uh, these miracles, Jesus did what he came to do. He came to preach. Now, if you look back in your Bible, in fact, I've got it up on the screen. Mark 1 verse 38 tells us that's what Jesus' priority was. You see that? So I can preach there also. Let's go to the villages so I can... That's why I've come. See, the crowd, well, the crowd had their agenda, but Jesus had his. They know what they want from him, while he knows what they need from him. Well, verses 3 and 4 describes a, a group of people who were trying to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus for healing. Well, they couldn't get in uh, to Jesus because the room was so packed. So they came up with an ingenious plan. They would climb onto the roof by the external stairway that often uh, these buildings were made with and they'd make a hole in the flat roof. You can imagine that flat, still the same in, in uh, this part, those, those parts of the world today. And they lowered the man onto his mat down to where Jesus was standing. The historian um, Paul Barnett in his commentary on Mark, he states that the truth of the story is guaranteed by the unimaginable detail. Interesting, isn't it? A lot of detail there uh, that Mark goes into. Well, what will Jesus do for this man? And that's what everyone's thinking, aren't they? This man gets lowered down. What will Jesus do? He's clearly in desperate need. He's, he's, he's paralysed, can't walk. Surely Jesus will heal him, right? Just like the leper a few, a few days ago. Well, what Jesus does next comes as, comes as a shock. Have a look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. I've been introduced um, recently to um, a band called The Beards, as in beard, The Beards, right? And you guess it, they sing about beards. Here's a few of their classics. No beard, no good. I think beards are great. If your dad doesn't have a beard, he has two mums. <laughs> anyway, um, it's funny, sort of, and then you say, as you listen, you think, maybe they're being serious. Maybe they really do think that much about beards. Another one of their songs is called Nothing Better Than a Beard. It's, it's written as an epic. It's seven and a half minutes long. It ebbs and flows like Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, it is a classic. It has this rising chorus, Nothing Better Than a Beard. The logic of the song goes like this. He's done it all. 
He's experienced everything, but there's nothing better than a beard. I'll, I'll, I'll quote a verse to you. Oh, I've crossed a thousand oceans. I've walked a thousand lands. I've climbed the mountain ranges, survived the desert sands. I've spoke every language. I've lived a thousand years. But the only thing I've learned is that there's just nothing better than a beard. Whoa, oh, oh, there's nothing better than a beard. Yes. <laughs> See, for the beards, having a beard is their greatest need. Now, of course, it's all a bit of silliness, isn't it? It's good fun. It's all a bit of silliness. But let me be a bit serious for a minute with you. I wonder how you'd answer that question, what is your greatest need? Have a think about it now. What comes to your mind first? What's your greatest need? I wonder how the paralysed man would have answered that question. What's your greatest need? What was his? I guess probably he might say to be healed, to, be, to walk again. It's a fair answer, I think, isn't it? Would your answer be any different from your friends or neighbours or workmates? I reckon for many, our greatest need is our identity. There's something I've been thinking about lately. And today, more than ever, that's wrapped up and defined in our sexual identity. That need supposedly trumps all other needs. I think that's craziness, if you ask me. But maybe you'd answer it differently. Maybe you'd simply say, well, information, that's our greatest need. Uh, technology or money, material things. You might say also, we might, our health, that's, that's our greatest need. Come back to verse 5 with me. And Jesus tells this man of his and ours, our greatest need. In forgiving this man's sins, Jesus identifies and deals with this man's greatest needs, greater than even his physical condition. And it's not, this is not a lack of compassion. Don't, don't go down that path. It's not that. Jesus sees beyond the awful condition of this man to a deeper and bleaker problem, and that is his need for forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins is our greatest need because it fixes our greatest problem. Without forgiveness of our sin, we cannot know God. Without forgiveness, we remain under the judgment of God. It is our greatest problem, and forgiveness of sin is our greatest need. So how do you, how do you come across this forgiveness then? How do we get this forgiveness? Well, come back to verse 5 again if you've still got your Bibles open. Let's notice the connection Jesus makes between forgiveness and faith or trust. Now, the Bible tells us lots of different places, doesn't it? that we receive forgiveness of sins through faith, through trusting in the Lord Jesus, um, believing in the Lord Jesus. But hang on, surely this here can't be that saving faith, right? They wanted physical healing for their friend. That's why they brought him to Jesus. They believed in Jesus as their only hope, but their hope was not for forgiveness of sins or heaven or their eternal destiny or anything like that. So did Jesus really forgive this man's sins? And how could he without genuine repentance? We don't really see that here, do we? Maybe there was, or maybe there was some awareness of a deeper need in their hearts that Jesus saw. Maybe Jesus saw that and it's not really written about here. But you know, the reality is we're not meant to see this as a normal example of what saving faith is or what it requires. 
Remember, this is right at the start of Jesus' ministry. It's right at the start of Mark's gospel. There's no real understanding at this stage, least of all from the disciples, about what Jesus has come to do on this earth. The cross, that's a long way off, isn't it? We today, well, we've, got, we've got the benefit of the rest of the Bible and, and the explanation we read of it about Jesus' death. We know how it all ends. We know how it all works out. So can we learn anything from this description of these men's faith here in Mark 2? I reckon we can. I reckon we can. And I think we're meant to. Faith is about Jesus. Faith is about Jesus. Real faith is in Jesus, in him. So if you're a Christian person, you don't believe in a sacrificial death in our place as the means of our forgiveness in some sort of abstract, obscure, impersonal, academic way. No, no, no. We believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. In Jesus dying for us for our sin. Well, in verse 6, Mark's focus shifts to the teachers of the law who are critical of Jesus. They were part of the Jewish religious authorities. You might have heard of uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were part of them. So let's go to verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're right. They're right. Only God can forgive sins. Only God. So in the next four verses, Mark records how Jesus reveals his identity as the Son of Man and therefore his authority to forgive sins. So let's unpack that a bit. Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're thinking. So he throws this question back at them. Look at verse 9. Which is easier, to say to this paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? It's not a trick question. Not at all. The obvious answer is that it's easier to say to someone, your sins are forgiven. It's way easier, because you don't have to prove it. Right? Anyone can claim to have the authority to forgive sins. So verse 10 then is a bit of a turning point, isn't it? It's a key verse. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and he walked out in full view of everyone. Jesus heals the man physically to show his authority to heal the man spiritually. Jesus heals the man physically to show his authority to heal the man spiritually. In other words, the miracle, which amazes everyone, fair enough, don't you think? They'd never said anything like that. The miracle establishes Jesus' identity as God, who alone has the authority to forgive sins. But why does he say son of man? Why not son of God? We're used to that language as well, aren't we? Now, some people do make the mistake of, um, of thinking that Son of Man refers to Jesus', Jesus humanity and Son of God refers, refers to Jesus' um, divinity. But the Bible doesn't really use the terms in that, that way like that. But for now, let's just focus on the title Son of Man that Jesus uses quite often. 
as we'll get through Mark, you'll see more and more, where he frequently refers to himself as the Son of Man. It's taken from Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament, the first of four prophetic visions recorded in the second half of the book. Daniel 7 prophesizes the rise and fall of human kingdoms in contrast to God establishing his everlasting kingdom under the rule of his all-powerful king. Now, Daniel 7 describes the coronation, if you like, of this king, of God's king, who will rule his kingdom forever, the sovereign almighty king. So let's just read. I'll have it on the screen this time. Let's read the second, this section of Daniel now. So it's Daniel uh, 7. I hope I've got it up on the screen. I do. Good. There it is. Excellent. So Daniel 7, and we'll start at verse 13 there. So in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Can you see what Jesus is saying when he uses that term about himself, son of man? By using that term, son of man, Jesus is saying that he is the king of God's universal and everlasting kingdom in Daniel 7. He's that king. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm that king. And when Jesus says, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus wants them and he wants us to think of that. That's what he wants us to do. To have Daniel 7 in our minds. Jesus is that great sovereign, almighty, all-powerful, so, uh, sovereign king whom by faith we can have forgiveness of our sin. Jesus is the only one who can make you right with your creator. He's the only one. Jesus is God's king who has come to save and his kingdom will never end. He's the one. His identity means he has authority like no other. Remember what the teachers of the law said rightly? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Problem is, there's an easy trap that many fall into. It's an easy mistake we can make. And that is we just don't recognise Jesus' authority. We, we can end up like those teachers of the law. Let me illustrate for a minute. So on Friday we had a packed office. It was Curly's last day in the office. Uh, Rach came in for her first day, a bit of a changeover, and, and Beck was hanging around as well. Uh, <laughs> we had a good time. It was a busy day actually for everyone. Um, but I came in as I do, and they probably get sick of me doing this, I'm sorry guys. Um, I came in and I interrupt, interrupted them from their hard work. And I asked them a question. I, I, wanted to know, um, I wanted to know an example of when they had not recognised an authority. I wanted a bit of a story, usually ending in embarrassment or, um, or some form of hilarity. Uh, well, I've got a few stories, which is great. And, um, but I reckon Kirley's story was the best, used with permission, of course. So she was a young uh, work experience student on a large cruise ship. Uh, P&O, I think, she said. Sounds like a great gig, doesn't it? Work experience on a cruise ship? Man, that sounds pretty good. Anyway, she was getting experience in outdoor cruise ship activities, all that sort of stuff. 
Um, now, just for some background as well, these huge cruise ships have an enormous staff. If you've been, I know some of you have been on cruise ships. Uh, they, they operate on, on rank and hierarchy in authority. You know, you, it's got to work. It's a, bit, a little bit like the Navy, I suppose. A captain at the very top. And then what's called the course director. Now, the course director is a very, very important person with great authority, sort of runs the ship in many ways, and that, that person is just below the captain. If you're employed on the ship, if you have anything to do with the ship's you know, jobs, employment, whatever, at the very least, you ought to know those two people, right? Um, you ought to be able to recognise their authority. Now, Kiralee, well, she was at the very bottom. Uh, now, one day, in her words... Um, whilst enjoying a bit of downtime, the very young Kiralee was chatting to an older, friendly woman. Lovely chat. There they were, sharing a coffee together. Uh, no, Kiralee doesn't drink coffee. Um, <laughs> whatever, whatever she was sharing. Anyway, a Coke. Um, enjoying some downtime. And uh, she started chatting to this older, friendly woman. They chatted about life on board and, you know, keeping it fairly general. The woman asked Kirley what she did, and she was excited to hear about Kirley's experiences. Then Kirley reciprocated, what job do you do on the ship? The older woman replied, you guessed it, I am the course director. <laughs> there wasn't a hole large enough for Kirley to crawl into, I imagine. <laughs> Embarrassment was an understatement. Uh, and it can happen to anyone, can't it? You probably think of a story, you might have done the similar thing too. Didn't recognise... Authority. The trap many people fall into is that we don't recognise the most important authority, and that is the authority of Jesus. Such a person is just like the teachers of the law here who question Jesus. They call out blasphemy because they don't recognise his... They don't know who he is. They don't recognise that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins and that he's offering that to anyone who has faith in him. Either we think we don't need him, we're good enough, or we don't believe he is who he said he is. Friends, if Jesus is who he says he is, then we desperately need him. Jesus has revealed himself to us today, here in the scriptures. Friends, Mark 2, 1 to 12 is not just a statement about Jesus' identity, helping us to answer that question, who is this man? This incident is a statement about Jesus' authority. The authority of Jesus, the Son of Man, who has the authority to forgive our sin. So how will you respond to this authority, the authority of God's King Jesus? Uh, will you kneel before him? Not very fashionable these days to kneel, but figuratively, in other words, will you call him Lord? Boss, king, will you call him saviour? How about we pray to that Lord and saviour now? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are indeed Lord. You are indeed saviour. And Lord, we thank you that you are God's promised king who comes to deal with our, our greatest need and that is the forgiveness of our sin. Lord, thank you for what we've read today in Mark's Gospel. Thank you that it tells us of your identity. Thank you that it tells us of your authority. And Lord, we ask that you would help us um, to uh, respond in the right way.
to the, your authority, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you died for us. We thank you that we can be right with you. We pray that we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.